Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm James Gill. And I'm Steph McKenna. From the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. Earlier in the year, our very own Ellie Reeves from the programme team spoke to local writer James Kinsley. James's first novella, Playtime's Over, was published by Propolis in 2021, a love letter to his native Norwich. His second book, a collection of interwoven short stories, very David Mitchell, will be released very, very soon, so keep an eye out for that. He also self-publishes sci-fi and fantasy under the name Ray Adams. Ellie sat down with James following the publication of Playtime's Over. They discuss his journey from self-publishing to traditional publishing and offers an insight into the challenges of drawing personal experiences into your fiction. They also discuss genre, mental health, and the ability of writing to move beyond the writer's intentions. And now we bring you Ellie Reeves in conversation with James Kinsley. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us, James. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you here today talking about your writing journey and Playtime's Over, which is your most recent publication with Propolis, which, uh, for those of you who may know, is the imprint of the Book Hive in Norwich. So to get us started, I thought that we could delve into your love of science fiction. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I can tell, you're relatively new to writing long-form fiction. You published your trilogy of science fiction back in 2020. So I want to ask about why you decided to embark on that venture. Why writing? Why that form? And, and why at that time? Just a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have always harboured dreams of being a writer ever since I was going back as far as primary school. One obstacle, though, that was in my way was my own perception of myself and my abilities. So I've suffered from clinical depression most of my adult life. And the way that it impacted my writing is that any time I started a project, I would get so far in, look back over what I've written and think, this is awful. I can't do anything with this. I've got no, no aptitude for this at all. And that was something that I struggled to get over for um, decades. Um, and I finally reached a point a few years ago where I realized that the only way I was going to get past that concern of how good what I was writing was, um, was if I stopped worrying about it. So I parked a couple of projects that I had that I was excited and hopeful about to one side. And I thought, I'm just going to write a story, write a book that's light, that's fun, that I'm not as emotionally involved in. And I will deliberately not care about how it turns out because the important thing will be if I finish it, it will exist. And that in itself is, will have a, you know, that quality that none of my ideas that are in my head have. So I sat down and started uh, writing something that turned out to be my first science fiction book and yeah, completely didn't allow myself to judge it in any form, just let it happen. And was pleasantly surprised when I got to the end that it seemed to hang together. So it was, um, I was pleased with how it turned out. I was pleased with how it ended particularly. And I thought, this is, uh, this is actually not too bad. So after editing and sort of tidying it up, I put it on Wattpad for a bit. And then I thought, well, actually I could self-publish and um, actually see if anyone will anyone will buy it so that's what started me off with that it was a it was a project aimed at dealing with my own insecurities rather than anything else and uh, yeah just turned out better than hoped great and also it's not just one book it's three which is incredible that's three completed pieces of fiction 
which is a huge achievement in and of itself. And of course, it's a huge emotional release from just completing a project. No, absolutely. Most writers are familiar with that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that went against everything that I'd told because I had in my head science fiction. It's always trilogies. It's always saving the universe. And I wanted to, and I had thought to myself, if I'm going to start off with something, I want it to be small. I want it to be self-contained. And the first book does stand on its own. But um, but yeah, I kind of found myself in that place where I understood what the temptation was to persist with an idea that you've, um, you know, stick with characters, follow them further. So I ended up writing a trilogy against my own better judgment. But yeah, it um, again turned out to be... Um, better than I'd hoped and certainly the people who have read um, the first one responded well to it so that was an encouragement and um, yeah it really kind of opened the floodgates for me because from that moment I was able to really up my creative output and focus on writing a lot more because it gave me that first step of belief of thinking no actually I can do this this is something that I can that I can achieve so yeah it was a huge huge positive for me. That's so lovely to hear. And I do want to spend a lot of our time together today discussing genre and a piece, obviously, is a lot emotionally closer to you and the dynamic between those two things. But first, you've talked about the process of self-publishing through Amazon. And we have briefly touched on this in the past on the podcast with Nicola May was the most recent, I believe. So if for our listeners, if that is of interest to you, please go and check that out. But I think it would be lovely to hear your perspective on self-publishing the Ruraka trilogy through Amazon and how the actual experience of doing that was. So how was that for you once you decided to publish it that way? From a technical point of view, I was astonished at how straightforward it was. I was really pleasantly surprised to find that, yeah, what, they've created for self-publishing authors is actually an amazing uh, platform. It's you can, if you've got a finished draft, you can have that online and people buying it within minutes, 10, 15 minutes, you can turn a word document into a, into a saleable book, which is, is incredible. And yeah, that kind of direct access to the um, means of production, if you like, was um, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. I do think they've created something really good there. There are, of course, pitfalls as well with that kind of um, with that kind of access. The fact that anyone who wants to can can write a book and publish it is obviously fantastic, but it does also come with uh, it's a double edged sword because it means that you know anyone who wants to can publish. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, overall, I think it's a very positive thing, and it it gives you a sense of control and a sense of freedom, which I think is invaluable because you've you're doing the selling, you're putting your name out there, you're in control of every aspect of it from pricing to how you market it to how you advertise it. And it's, I found it a really fun process. It's not um, anything that, you know, I'm not going to retire off the back of it. But it's, um, but from a personal level of just being able to understand everything that goes into it, because it's not the thing with being a writer these days, um, is that the writing, uh, the job doesn't finish when you've written the book. There's so much more. If you want to sell it, you've got to be an active participant in that. And that is whether you're traditionally publishing or self-publishing. More so with self-publishing, obviously, because you're the only person going to bat for your book. But even it set me up really well for my journey with traditional publishing because I understood 
what was needed. I understood that I would have to play an active part in things like promotion. I would have to be aware of opportunities to market and that kind of thing. It's, it was an invaluable preparatory exercise, but it was also really fun in its own right. Nice. So it sounds like one of the major advantages for you of self-publishing was a demystifying of the process of publishing, which of course gives a huge amount of power back to the writer if you then decide, as you have done, to move into traditional publishing and uh, work with a publisher like um, Propolis. Would you say that's that's fair? You understood that process from uh, A all the way through to Z before you even really worked with the publisher? Yeah, absolutely. You, um, I mean, even simple things like going into that first conversation with a publisher and not being blindsided by terms that you don't understand is you know the whole frame of reference for the process of taking a text and turning it into a book because they are two different things and yeah so uh, when i sat down and had my first conversation with my publisher i felt a lot better equipped to understand what he was uh, talking about to ask the questions that arose from my experience of publishing myself I just I genuinely felt better equipped and I mean obviously I defer to my publisher in in many things in terms of his uh, quite incredible experience but but I was nevertheless able to have those conversations with some sense of not being completely out of my depth which um, which again for someone who has issues around self-confidence and self-worth that extra step of being better equipped was invaluable because I could quite easily see that if I'd just gone into that blind that I could have felt so overwhelmed by the process that I might have um, sabotaged myself and, and not pursued it as, as far as I did. So yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's knowledge and having that knowledge is a, is a huge, huge plus point. Completely. There's a lot of discussion of imposter syndrome amongst writers at all stages of their career as well whether they have completed a draft or whether they are five books in it just seems to pop up as this recurring issue that writers struggle with of never being sure that what they're putting down onto the page is going to have worth and of course it does of course it does as soon as you've found your audience and your people but even the act of completion is a catharsis in and of itself couldn't agree more there's uh yeah that whole thing of imposters and, and i find as well with social media the fact that you're able to engage with your audience and with other writers allows you to see that even people who are a lot further along in their career still experience that and that being able to know writers better in a in a sense um through that kind of access to them again really kind of opens the doors for people because you can see that yeah it's okay uh, other people feel like this there's so much to be found in other writers on that note do you involve yourself in any writers group or how do you create that writer community for yourself um i've I've never um, participated in any kind of uh, live sort of face-to-face writers group. I've had it suggested to me in the past, and I know people who um, who really value that opportunity, but the idea of um, sitting in a room and reading my writing out to, to people um, really is just makes my skin itch. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so again, actually that whole um, social aspect of being online does allow you to build connections and just even if you're not an active participant because I'm not um 
naturally a, a very gregarious person, but just being able to see what other people are going through and hear their, you know, their stories and their experiences, even if I'm a bit tentative about offering my own, that's it, it's a huge thing. It's 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 fantastic. So yeah, I, um, I mean, I would very much uh, recommend for for anyone who's who's thinking about writing to kind of make those connections and start seeing other people's experiences from the you know the hugely successful to the just starting out because that really gives you a, a lot more of um, an appropriate frame of reference of what to expect but also how to feel about the things that you'll experience and how it's okay to feel the way you do and still carry on doing it that's that's for me that is the big key is is it's fine if you feel imposter syndrome I mean I you know I struggle with that regularly but knowing that everyone else does as well just you know it, it takes that pressure off and thinks well okay this is this is fine just ignore it just you know accept the fact that you feel like that and carry on anyway yeah and of course in playtimes over the focus of the book is a lot on mental health so it's interesting that a lot of your experiences uh, just as a human being are feeding directly into this book so I'd like to, to delve into the, the book now I want us to focus on Playtime's Over. And just before we really dig into a discussion of the novella, I'm just going to share the blurb. In the seconds before death, Will finds himself transported from the depths of the North Sea to the end of a deserted pier. Deserted until Victor appears. Together, they journey across time and place, scrutinising the interminable balancing act of being alive, which ultimately led Will to make his final fatal move. Playtime's Over is a story about resilience and surrender, told with darkly absurd humour. It is both a powerful meditation on mental health in a world with little refuge and a touching portrait of a friendship forged in the most bizarre circumstances. So to start, let's discuss um, mental health. You are a huge advocate for using your own experiences to inform your writing. But of course, that puts a huge amount of yourself into this novella, which is a tricky balance to maintain. And I would love to hear about how that was for you and the challenges that you faced and how you were able to navigate them to create a text at the end is is just excellent and I have read multiple times now and each time I gain something new from it. So what was that like for you? It's made a lot easier by the fact that I've I've blogged about my um, mental health issues for many years now. Um, I went through a particularly rough period approximately 10, 12 years ago now where through the impact of my mental life on my working life, I ended up out of work. And as a result of which, it was that although I had talked about it sort of before at that point, it became a thing that I I actually need to explain to the people around me what's happened. And the only way to do that is to be absolutely honest about my mental health situation. And from there, largely due to the really positive feedback that that generated, I've talked ever since about it and my mental health has changed over the years so what uh what in my 20s manifested itself in sort of depression and self-sabotaging behavior I now I have less of that but I have more anxiety episodes and so uh chronicling that journey has has been a really positive and useful thing and I found it really 
really great when other people have have responded to that and sort of opened up about their own experiences because it is one of those truisms that the more you talk about it the more you realize the people around you are experiencing the same thing so when it came to channeling that into playtime it's it was it was surprisingly easy because so much of myself I put out there anyway that I don't think there are any massive surprises left to share there were challenges for sure I mean, one of them was my wife, when she read the book, um, reacted quite strongly to certain parts of it from recognising bits of me, bits of my life, bits of our life in it, almost to the point that I hadn't even thought about it while I was writing it. So it was it was a surprise to me when she reacted as strongly as she did, um, favourably, I should add. But yes, it was... Um, so yeah, accommodating myself to the perceptions of the people who who know and who love me was um was perhaps one of the biggest challenges with that and i do have to be careful when i because the um because will in the book um is um not only contemplating but actually going through with the act of suicide i do need to always be careful about drawing that line between where the where i stop and the character starts because that's not it is a work of fiction. It's um, it, more than a cry for help. So, um, but yeah, having been open about mental health for such a long time was um, made that whole journey of channeling that into fiction um, a lot easier than it might otherwise have been. And I think that's um, it's paid dividends because people have responded to the book so well, and they feel the authenticity in that because the voice although a fictional character nevertheless comes with quite a lot of my my emotional journey behind it as well so that's um so yeah generally uh, a very positive thing although yes challenging in sort of waking me up to other people's perceptions of both me and the and the book that's incredibly interesting and it's first of all it's wonderful to hear that the book has been received in such a positive light of course that is wonderful and that people have found a sort of a community in shared experience of that and an understanding um, and that makes me think actually of a comment that I, I think was said by a previous translator in residence at the National Centre for Writing, uh, Yvette Sigurd I believe said this and um, she said that the act of writing is very much like breathing, uh, we breathe out which is writing but before we can do that we have to breathe in which is reading and consumption and fueling what inevitably we put out and that that process is ongoing and doesn't stop and I feel that particularly with playtimes over with such a focus on mental health um, and such an informed discussion that's happening inside the text and the questions that are asked what other things have influenced how you decided to approach that text? Because it's done incredibly carefully um, and with a lot of thought. And I wondered if there are other texts that you've read or other conversations of mental health that you've been involved with that you think would be worthy of sharing. The the influences, one, well, certainly the literary influences, are, I would struggle to pin down. Um, I flatter myself that I... <laughs> come up with something that's not quite like anything um that I've read although I'm I'm certain there are you know I've had people come back to me and say oh this part reminds me of this book or um Matt Haig's The Midnight Library is something that I, I've had suggested to me although I do own a copy but I haven't read it yet but um but yeah certainly 
other experiences of people I know who have suffered uh, and do continue to live with mental health issues. Um, I have one very good friend who's bipolar and his experiences uh, have been a lot more extreme than mine and a lot more um, difficult to deal with than mine. And certainly that in the back of my mind, if not necessarily uh, at the forefront, would have been something that informed it greatly. Um, I've also, I've known people who have taken their own lives or friends whose relatives have taken their own lives. So it, it's, it is something that has sort of weighed on me quite heavily um, at different times. And so, yeah, it's, I, I feel that it's, it was born a lot more out of personal experience than it was literary inspiration. Um, although I do, you know, I read an enormous amount, so it would be foolish to pretend that there wasn't, um, you know, a whole range of, uh, of literary influences that have kind of drip fed into me over, over the years. I think um, one of the, I mean, I, d- I did come to, this feels like I've come to writing sort of quite late in life, but one, I think one of the advantages of that is it has allowed me to sort of more naturally find my own voice amongst the um the voices that I've been taking in so yeah it's 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 kind of crystallized in playtime which has in essence become this this very sort of personal journey for me and particularly as well with um I mean one of the things that because the book I do think the book is funny I I mean it even makes me laugh out loud when I'm read when I read it now um and part of that is down to Victor and I suppose in in some ways if I identify with either of the two characters in the book although they are in essence the same character but um it's it's that victor side of the character that sort of punctuating of the um almost pomposity of will's depression and his self-absorption and all the the angst that he feels that i share with him it's that victor side of his personality that's saying is that really the case is that you know are you overthinking this are you are you um is this really the problem that you think it is is um, that's a kind of more quintessential part of me, and that again, I mean, I've had I've had people suggest that there's almost a kind of Arthur Dent Ford Prefect kind of relationship between those two characters, and you've got the one person who's wildly out of his depth, and this other voice inside that actually is a lot more clued into what's going in, what's going on. So that's something that um, yeah has fed in sort of inspirational wise and sort of drip fed a bit into uh, into creating this this piece. That brings me nicely on to uh, asking about Victor. Of course, I wanted to ask about Victor. He's such a major part of the book and clearly a character um, that has been loved whilst writing. I think that definitely comes across. So it's interesting to hear that that is who you see yourself in. I think that does come across in the text. So Victor in particular, there's a warmth and a familiarity, but he's also quite stoic. And so whilst the novella... Uh, is a lot about will. What really comes across is that it's actually a novella centred on a budding friendship in a very bizarre circumstance. And I wanted to know if that was your initial intention. How did that happen over the course of coming up with the concept and then writing the book? At what point did you realise that this was also a book about friendship? Quite late on. I mean, in some ways, uh, when Henry put the blurb together and he mentioned it about, you know, being this friendship forged in the most bizarre circumstances um it almost kind of blindsided me i was i mean the moment i read it i was like 
but of course, but it certainly wasn't intentional. And I, I think a lot of that has come out of the fact that I've, again, it's, it's a product of how late I've come to this and how sort of how much the story has almost been fermenting in my mind before I wrote it down. And it was a, this whole idea of actually coming to a point where I've accommodated my own issues and, and problems and, and learned to live with them. And the kind of, um, the way that I've learned not to take myself too seriously. And this is, I think, Victor's essence in the story is, is communicate or trying to sort of get Will to see that you can be right about something and you can feel the correct way about an issue in the world and yet still that can manifest itself in an unhealthy way. So, I mean, a lot of the things that I deal with in the book, it, it makes reference to um, our departure from the EU. It makes reference to um, transgender issues. Um, and whilst I feel very strongly about those issues, I like to think that the book is actually accessible to people who might not agree with me, purely because I do try to subvert that a little bit in the sense of, I don't necessarily trust my own opinions about what is right. I don't believe I'm infallible. I don't, um, I don't, if there's one thing that frightens me in the world, I always say it's other people's certainty. And I don't, I don't value certainty as a, as a good quality. It's something I find off putting in other people, but it's also something that I have to remember to, to apply that to myself. So when I, find myself getting angry about something or you know getting really impassioned about something it's about examining those feelings and thinking okay am I right about this and quite often when I go through that exercise of self-evaluation I'll come out the other side and I think no I do still think that I do still believe that about that issue but just taking that time to evaluate my own approach to it and evaluate and think about how I'm feeling about something gives me that brief pause to think, okay, yes, you you are on the right side of this issue, but what do you do with that? Where do you go from here? How do you communicate with others? How do you put this across in a way that isn't just shouting at people, but is, you know, trying to communicate and in a way that doesn't make it look like you're claiming some kind of superiority, moral superiority or intellectual superiority that you don't have. Um, and that's, and I think um, the the one interesting thing about Will and Victor's um, situation, and one of the other aspects of the book that didn't really strike me until I finished it, is the the theme of isolation and how isolated as a character Will has been. And in fact, this conversation that he has with Victor throughout the book is exactly the sort of conversation that had he been able to have that with someone in his life, he wouldn't have ended up in the place that he was at. And, and that's one of the essential differences between me and Will as a character is the fact that I have, you know, that network of support, those friends that I can talk to and family I can talk to. That means that the conversations that Will has been denied and the denial of which has led to where he is, uh, I, I don't share. So, so yeah, that, I mean, it is, although they are in essence, the same character, 
the book does boil down to being about a relationship. It's a it's a relationship between Will and Victor. It's a and from that point of view, I guess in some senses, it's about having a trying to have a more positive relationship with yourself, um, about being more forgiving, but also more skeptical about some of your more entrenched beliefs. Because I think it's it's, I mean, I think most people would agree that actually a little bit more. Um, self-evaluation for all of us would probably be a good thing yes I agree with that very much and I enjoy that some of these realizations for you as the writer of the text are actually happening after the facts and that speaks to the nature of of writing and finishing a project and how it's as soon as it's in the hands of the writers and I mean the hands of the readers even um, whether that be your your editor or a member of the public, they start to point out all these things that you never even noticed. No, absolutely. And I think it, it's uh, it's an important part of our relationship with art is that we should never, as the creator of art, be it literature or be it anything else, we should never assume that we've got a monopoly on understanding it. Um, and so, you know, I'm more than happy for, for people to turn around and say, you do realise that you've said this or that this is coming across and I think, oh, yeah, of course, I didn't see that. And it's possible not to see things in your own work. And I guess that if we go full circle, that comes back to this whole idea of not being too sure of your own certainties and your own infallibility. It's that willingness to be told things about something you have created is, I think, is healthy because, yeah, it does kind of open you up to um, opens you up to to the thing that you have created more so you can get more out of it, but it also helps you develop. So when you come to the next project and the, uh, the next thing you write, those things that might otherwise not have been in your mind, you are now thinking, oh yeah, I've, I've done that already. And yeah, this is, this has come through. I mean, I've got a work in progress at the moment. I've got a first draft for where one of my friends has come back to me. Um, he was reading through it for me at the first draft stage and he was, he was uh, drawing parallels with playtime that I hadn't noticed. And he was saying, you do know you've kind of done this a bit before. And I thought, oh, yeah, no, he's absolutely right. I had this, this does need perhaps reworking a bit. So yeah, being open to other people's interpretation of your own work is, is a vital part of the process for me. Absolutely. And how exciting to hear that there's another project in the works. Perhaps we can come back to that at the end and leave everybody with a little a little flicker of excitement about that but I want to ask more about um, genre because from what you've just said I think um, Playtime's Over is is filled with questions and it's filled with questions in a way that I find quite reminiscent of poetry in the way that it doesn't need to answer them it is quite happy to ask them to have a bit of a discussion about them but it does not feel a need to answer them before moving on to the next question and that's quite a powerful thing and it's quite a poetic thing I think Lewis Buxton has spoken on the podcast previously about how he tries to do that in his work about masculinity he asks the question and then he's quite happy to leave the reader with it and let them reach their own conclusions or not and that's the point point. and it's interesting that you've changed genre from uh, science fiction and from from fantasy elements to this novella which is definitely not science fiction but it is grappling with some of those same questions that have come up for instance questions of what it means to be human and what it's all for and what it's about and that's very interesting because as you're growing as a writer and as you move on to this new project do you see 
how do you see the genres that you're going to be utilizing evolving? Do you feel that you'll return to science fiction or are you sort of enjoying this much closer approach to what you're writing? And maybe you can talk a little bit about your your new uh, draft there if, if you would like to. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge enthusiast for genre fiction. I don't at all draw the kinds of lines that are often drawn between the two. I don't see there being any kind of hierarchy in literature. And as you've so uh, succinctly uh, drawn out, one of the things about science fiction, and certainly the top end, the best end of science fiction, is all about what does it mean to be human? And in the same way that when it comes down to it, pretty much all art is that it any genre any art form at its essence is all about us trying to make sense of uh, the things we experience and what's going on around us and and the best science fiction has always done that and and not even the most sort of highbrow science fiction but i mean even even more you know readily accessible stuff like star trek i mean you take something like you take someone like spock or data and they're journey throughout those shows has always been about exploring what it means to be human which I think is is amazing and I think people who look down on um, science fiction and fantasy really miss an awful lot of what those genres have to offer for me personally I like to think that when I come to the end of doing everything that I've done there's likely to be far more science fiction and fantasy than there is more contemporary literature I find it in some ways easier to draw that out i do i do worry about authenticity and sort of creating something that feels real and for me personally i find it easier to achieve that in a world where i'm setting the rules and i think actually there's an awful lot of skill that goes into creating authentic convincing fiction within our own world because the moment you start telling a story that other people will recognize then you need to you need to get it right now that's not to downplay the abilities of uh, you know the rigor with which sci-fi writers go about their craft at all but it's um you have a the further you go from everyday experience the more control you have over what you're creating that comes with the responsibility of making it coherent and uh, reflective, but there's um, there's certainly more um, more leeway in some respects for that. But um, but yeah, I I respect the genre enough that I don't feel I'm one of these people who has to like create slipstream fiction and then sort of make arguments about whether or not it is sci-fi. I you know I'm quite happy to have playtime and one of the pieces that I'm currently working on sitting very much on one shelf and my science fiction work sitting very comfortably on another shelf. Um, I've no problem with genre from that point of view because it's, you know, it is useful to the reader to know what they're picking up and and there's no harm in sort of uh, having your feet in both pools or as many pools as you want. It's uh, And I do want to, you know, I want to try other things as well. So um, I'm hoping that I might have a, a really good comic novel in me at some point, um, something that's just flat out um, funny. Um so yeah, I'm, I want to I want to push myself and try new things and different things um, rather than sort of just retreading ground. But whether that's in genre or whether that's in more sort of contemporary literature, both uh, you know both give me pleasure and they 
and I find one of the advantages as well when you're working in different genres, and particularly if you have more than one work in progress on the go, which I do at the moment, writer's block becomes less of an issue. Because if you, if you reach a point in a story where you think, I, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going now or where this goes, put it aside. Don't worry about it. Think, okay, well, I can now go and I can go and, you know, hop over to this world and, and work there for a while. And that for me personally, I know everyone will sort of work differently, but that that's enormously useful for me because it allows me to write better and engage more with what I'm writing because I've got that choice of what I'm doing at any given moment. I think that's a powerful tool to have in the roster of a writer. Um, we certainly do not need to stick to a particular genre. And it's lovely to hear that you've actually found a strength in that variety rather than anything else. Having said that, though, it would be so lo- lovely to see, um, you know, a couple more trilogies pop out <laughs> in uh, in a very intense, fully immersive sci-fi world. So let's not rule it out. <laughs> let's keep it in the nope, cards. Uh, absolutely. There's a, there's a new Ray Adams book, hopefully sort of landing. Uh, Ray Adams being the, the name I publish, self-publish under. There's a new book um, on its way, hopefully in about April time, by the time I get it proofread. Um, and yeah, I've got another as I say, I've got about four works in progress at different stages at the moment in, in different genres. So, yeah, I'm kind of keeping busy. <laughs> Fantastic. That's so exciting to hear. Do you think the plan will be to self-publish or try something a bit different with the next one? So I definitely want to keep with the self-publishing. As I was saying at the beginning, there, there's a the freedom that comes with that and just the the investment with... Uh, being involved in the whole in the whole process and being responsible for that and you know watching your sales figures and looking at the charts and all this kind of thing I'm a absolute addict for a spreadsheet so yeah it's um, self-publishing is a gift because there's so many things you can put in a spreadsheet with it but um so yeah I definitely want to continue in both veins if possible I have to accept the fact that traditional publishing is it's very difficult to get into. And although I've done it once, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get a second shot. So realistically, I have to keep self-publishing ongoing. But that is for, as I say, that's that's a choice as well as just a um, a backup. It's I, I don't see it as a backup. That is just one strand of what I want to do. But yeah, I'm also hoping that Playtime won't be my last uh, traditionally published book. But uh that lies sort of um, that's out of my hands in some ways. So yeah, it's 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 good to have both options open. And my last question for you, I think, just to bring us back to the sort of focus of this discussion: Do you envision? And you may not know the answer, but do you envision mental health remaining a very central focus of your texts, or how do you envision that changing in the future? that that's an interesting one because um in some respects it will continue to to be a very big part of it simply because it is it's part of my experience it's it's part of who i am and therefore i'm never i don't think successfully going to be able to take it out of the equation i mean even with the the sci-fi the trilogy that i've um self-published although in some senses it's a very much just an a, you know a knockabout adventure it's a bit of a caper really there is nevertheless in the in the middle book a kind of um, quite big chunk that centres on one character's uh, ability to deal with the with the occurrences of the first book. He takes a lot of time getting over that, and that's something that I explored that very much came from my own mental health background, even within that kind of fun caper genre. But um, 
but I do also have to be careful that I don't end up in a place where I, you know, I don't want to pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself as being, you know, just a, a writer about mental health. I want to do different things and I want, you know, I want to surprise people. Um, I want some, my, my dream is for someone to read two books of mine and not even, you know, realize they're by the same person that that's how diverse I want to make that. And I'm not going to achieve that by sticking with the same themes and hammering, hammering on those things. So there's definitely a balance between creating books that are relevant to my experience and authentic in that regard, but also pushing myself to not take the comfortable route of just doing the same thing over and over. So yeah, I'd, I honestly don't know which, which way it will go, but I hope I do um, manage to sort of diversify. I have no doubt that uh, that you will be able to diversify. I particularly enjoyed the the small ode in the sea of discussion of mental health in Playtime's Over. I did catch the slight Star Wars reference of uh, I don't like sand. So that did not go unnoticed and it was greatly appreciated um, and just won many moments of good humour um, in there. So clearly it is well within your... Um, ability and your tool set to to swap between the two um, i'm very excited actually to see how how you do that and to follow your writing career well thank you thank you ellie that's great yeah that is one line that does always get a very positive response to the people who recognize <laughs> it i like to think it's subtle enough that if you don't if it doesn't resonate then it's absolutely fine it just slips by but for the people who who pick it out it always gets a big thumbs up so yeah yes. It's very glad much able, if you know, you know. <laughs> absolutely. I, I was glad I was able to slip that one past my publisher because there were quite a few of the, that kind of thing that he um, took out and, you know, and rightly so. But I, I'm glad that one got through. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a, a little secret that we will now publish, of course. Absolutely. On TV, an, e- an Easter egg. That's okay. <laughs> an Easter egg. <laughs> Great. So on that note, James, I think we're going to bring this conversation to a close. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. And thank you as well for being so candid about your process of writing and putting yourself into your work. I'm sure it's going to help so many writers who are at a similar stage or considering starting writing that um, the possibilities are endless and they just need to crack on. Absolutely. Go for it. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writer Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.